Last week, we spoke to Adnan Ibrahim, who had just sold his business Car Throttle to Dennis Publishing. Well, this week, we're going to speak to somebody else that has had a recent event. Nick Telson was responsible for creating, with his business partner, Design My Night, which was recently sold to the Access Group. And it was actually his last day at Design My Night on January the 3rd this year. We speak to Nick about how they've affected change in bar culture. Listening now, you'd think it's crazy for us to imagine a world in a central city without a load of high quality bars selling a load of high quality cocktails. But what Nick identified was a gap in the market to make that bar culture thrive. We speak to him about the beginnings of his business, his working relationship with his other co-founders, and also we talk to him about what his role encompasses, the opportunity for growth, what defined the brand, and then we end, as we always do, talking about his rocket fuel. So the first section of Rocket Fuel, as I'm sure you know for long-time listeners, is where we get to find out a little bit more about this week's guest. We get to find out what makes them tick a little bit. Before we do that, Nick Telson, thank you so much for doing this. Absolute pleasure. Looking forward to it. So, Nick, let's start with learning a little bit about you. Tell us about your journey. How have you got to where you are now? Um, so if we just go back a bit before Design My Night, so I actually studied languages at university, so nothing to do with entrepreneurship or business. Sure. Um, love languages, can't add up to save my life, couldn't do sciences, but I could just do languages. So I, I honed in on that. So I did Spanish and Portuguese, uh, which I loved. Um, left, uh, finished university, I didn't leave university and went straight to L'Oreal and did their graduate scheme. So back in the day, there was, you know, 10 companies from a marketing point of view that you wanted to get into. L'Oreal was one of them, got a very good grad scheme, ended up being there for six years, worked my way up the marketing levels and and left uh, as marketing manager. Um, a year into a year into design my night, I was still at L'Oreal, so, wow. I was, so I was doing the both at the same time. Um, and actually, my manager then, who's a good friend of mine to this day, pulled me aside into a meeting room and said, "I know you're up to something because I keep seeing you run off into meeting rooms um, just to let you know your contract says that you can't be doing anything else. So if you are, just take this as a warning that it's been noticed." Um, so it's probably about a week after that, um, I decided to leave L'Oreal um, and my co-founder, he worked at Accenture and we actually shared his salary for six months wow. um, so I could leave L'Oreal um, and then went full throttle into Design My Night. How amazing. And what was it that L'Oreal gave you, do you think, in terms of marketing foundations and principles? I think at their core, L'Oreal is, it's a marketing brand, um, you know, that. Yes, they do lots of great research, but there's only so much you can do with a mascara, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, their job is to create a new brand, create a new advert and get hype around that. Um, so I really saw the consumer marketing side of things, how to how to tap into the emotion of people and make people buy. Um, and, and that is really at the core of what L'Oreal does. And that side hustle ethic, because that, by the sounds of it, is what Design My Notes started as. 
does that ever leave you? Have you always got other projects on the back burner? Have you always got your eye on other opportunities? I think you've always got your eye on other opportunities. But um, I think the side hustle when we started Design My Night stopped in as much as we just were throwing everything we had at Design My Night. There was no time for a side hustle. Um, I think we were always looking at a side hustle within Design My Night. So, you know, where can we take the business? Um, what other opportunities are there? Um, but in terms of other opportunities outside Design My Night, we were too focused on on the, the job in hand. And what do you think, big question now, Nick, mm -hmm. what do you think you're known for in the business world? What do you think people would say about you? Um, I'm not sure about the business world. In, in the hospitality sector that we um, act in, um, I think just honesty and integrity. So, you know, we are very close to our customers. Um, most people that use Design My Night as a consumer won't actually know that we're really a software business. So we provide software to restaurants and bars behind the scenes. Um, and we've always been very upfront with our customers, very honest, um, always getting customer feedback. Um, they would often see me, even to this day, going to customer meetings. Um, and we just managed to build a really good rapport with our, our clients. Okay. And how are you as a manager and how do you like to be managed? Um, I, so I've had some great managers in my time, especially at L'Oreal. Um, I think I, I like to be managed by you know giving me the freedom to to do what I want but knowing that someone is there to rein me in or or offer me advice if I need and I think I've very much done that at design my night our huge ethos is always been you know higher inexperienced people that we see just have the the burning desire to succeed and we will help them grow um so, you know so a lot of our managers to this day um, joined us when they were 21, 22, uh, now been with us for five, six years and are managing teams of 10 plus. Um, and, you know, Design My Night in many instances was their first job. Wow. Okay. And is there a commonality to your team? Is there, are there certain attributes that you need in everybody or is everybody very different, quite deliberately so? How does that, how does that work? Um, so, we, you know, when we hire or when we hired back in the day, we, we, so we didn't look at qualifications. So we're quite big on that, you know, for, for us to work at Design My Night, you know, unless it's in the development team, really, um, you know, you didn't need a degree. Um, you didn't need wealth of experience. It's definitely the commonality we have is, is just desire, uh, desire to work hard, desire to succeed, desire to learn. Um, and when we have a face-to-face -face interview with someone, uh, we can really see that. Um, you know, for example, a couple of our best hires who are still with us today, they worked at Waitrose um, mm. stocking shelves and they came to us and were like, actually, we want to find a career that we can really grow at and be passionate about. Um, and we just saw that desire and knew they'd be fantastic. Okay. And just in terms of what motivates you, I suppose, are there people who you've nicked ideas from, people who you've learned from? Have you ever had a mentor, for example? Um, so we we actually had had a business mentor um, who wore, who became our chairman. So okay. that with his wife, we met at the dinner party. The friend came in and started chatting to Andrew, and he happened to be the head of entrepreneurship at the London Business School. Wow! Um, and he started chatting to Andrew about Design My Night, and he became our mentor for about two years. We went to see him once a quarter, um, and it was him that encouraged us to then raise funds. Um, and he actually then led our round of funding. Um, so he he was instrumental into how we grew Design My Night. Excellent. Um, just last bit on this section, if you don't mind. 
we're going to come on to discuss kind of the intricacies of Design My Night and, and a little bit about the journey. But in those early stages, did you ever come close to giving up? Were there were there low points? Were there pressures? Let's let's focus on how you overcame that that struggle, if you like. Yeah, I think I think it's it's a very tough world starting your own business, and I, you know I'm I'm quite um, prevalent on LinkedIn at the moment, and and I can see a lot of founders, male and female, talking about the emotional struggle of being a founder, which is great because I think there needs to be more of that. You know, it can be very lonely. It can be very tough. Um, you, you have to manage to keep um, just very level headed as much as possible. Some days are going to be awful. Some days are going to be amazing. And you need to try and keep that middle level. Design by Night, we had a few of those. Um, and we were actually, you know, not many people know this. We were probably about two weeks um, before shutting down the business, before we got funding. Um, so we'd done two years self-funded. Um, we'd be eating sandwiches and baked beans for breakfast lunch and dinner for two years maxed out all of our credit cards um and we were waiting on this group of investors to see if we'd be able to take the business forward um and if it would have been two weeks longer we probably would have closed the business wow okay and your relationship with your co-founder has it's always been you and him throughout the entire journey were there others along the way were there and how important is that relationship so yeah so andrew um was my best friend at university um so you know we were very close um we always spoke about wanting to to set up a business at university um i i couldn't have done it without having a co-founder i i find solo founders inspirational um because you know the the down days you've got someone to bring you up and the up days you've got someone to be ecstatic with um so we it's been us two the whole time um and we've got a very good dynamic with each other we're very honest with each other we can speak very candidly with each other um and yeah i we definitely could have been where we are i think if he did it by himself or i did it by myself So the second section of this conversation is where we get under the skin of Nick's business. Nick, talk to us about Design My Night. First of all, for the benefit of the listener, tell us what it is, but also tell us where the inspiration for the business came from. So Design My Night is um, a B2C platform on the one hand where people can come and discover uh, restaurants, bars, events, things to do. Um, We're now in 20 cities across the UK. Um, And on the other side, uh, as I said previously, where a lot of people don't see is that we're a software company. So we provide um, reservation software to the restaurant and bar industry. Um, We provide ticketing software to the events industry. Um, And we recently launched an e-vouchering platform for the hospitality business as well. Um, And they all plug into each other. So when you're buying a ticket or making a booking on our Design My Night platform, that's going through our software straight to the restaurant bar or event organizer. Um, Where where the idea came from was Andrew and I were actually in New York uh, on holiday. Um, and we spoke to our concierge in the hotel and said, you know, where can we go out tonight? And he asked us lots of questions. And actually one of his main questions was your budget. How much do you want to spend? Um, and that night we, we can't remember whose idea it actually was, but we came up with the idea of a price comparison site for, um, going out in, in London. So at that time, money supermarket and all of those sites were, were getting big. So we thought, wouldn't it be great if you can go onto a website, click your budget, and then it shows you the restaurants and bars in that budget. 
Um, so that's really how it started. So I, I, I think our first, you know, tagline was uh, London's first nightlife price comparison site. Um, and then it, it grew from there, really. That was, but that was the initial seed of the idea. So it's partly swept up in the platformification of seemingly everything right now. Before we kind of go into the ambition of the brand, how cool is Design My Night? Because is are you there at the edgiest edge of of bars and nightlife are you there for everybody what, what what's the idea and whereabouts are you positioned now so it's funny you use the word cool because uh, that that's actually a word we've always tried to stay away from because i think to define coolness is very subjective yeah um you know i don't consider myself a cool person um and it's very difficult to try and cater for you know what is cool um so our vision at Design My Night was all, always to cater for the masses. So if you are or you consider yourself cool and you want to go to the latest, you know, hotspots, then Design My Night will have that. If you just wanted to meet a friend for a, a pint in a local pub, Design My Night will have that. Um, and I think that was actually very important for us to grow our business, that we've actually found comp- a lot of competitors come and go um, that try to be right at the forefront of what was edgy and what was cool. And then they soon realized that actually it's very difficult to carve a business out of a, quite a small niche. And and that sounds to me as though that's more developed than just a position that you've fallen into. It sounds like that's more of an ethos. It's it's like a it's a tentpole that you're you're firmly planting. Yes. Right? So we were always um you know, we as long as the experience or the venue is good, um, we never wanted to define ourselves or to our customers as what was cool. So in the relationship with Design My Night, you've got the punters, you've got the, the bar owners, the, the pub owners, and and you, you've got, you're at the centre of that relationship. Who's most important to you and who are you working to attract more of? Well, it's the classic marketplace business. So, um, I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of Amazon. Um, and um, if you read the Amazon book, um, Bezos talks a lot about the flywheel of, um, you know, you need A to fuel B that then fuels A that then fuels B. Um, and many marketplace businesses that have actually come to the fore over the last few years um, are in this space. And Design My Night, you know, we're nine years old now, so we're one of the old boys. Um, but, you know, we are a marketplace business in as much as we have to drive the punters to design my night for bars and restaurants to want to work with us. And if we didn't have enough bars and restaurants working with us, then the punters would land on our site and be disappointed with the selection. So it was always a fine balance of A and B, and we found that they then fuel each other. And as a consumer, I'm as likely to be pointed to design my night by a venue as I am to be served a social ad but from design my night directly or or how does it tend to work so it's more so we um work very hard on seo so that that was our our big differential again it doesn't sound that um you know groundbreaking now but back in the day a lot of our competitors uh, some big big boys weren't really good at seo so andrew and i spent a lot of time studying seo got our heads down read about it understood it spoke to people um and we built s uh, we built design my night with seo at the core um and actually seo is is not a magic pill if you do it correctly and you are producing great fresh content then you know google and the others will will pick you up um so still to this day we get 8 million views a month um and 64% is organic google traffic wow um and that's how we built design my night it was a content strategy it was slow it was steady 
um you know it took probably a year and a half really to 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 grow it we never spent a fortune on advertising um so our punters normally find us from hopefully word of mouth but um also google um we don't have the just eat model which again i adore as well where our restaurants are telling um our punters to go to design my night to make a booking um but we provide the software that sits on the restaurant's website so we are still making money from that side okay and take me back when you first started recruiting bars pubs establishments to come onto the design my night platform yeah did they think you were talking a foreign language did they how was that process and who did you aim for did you aim for independent bars did you aim for big chains how did it work so it was um uh, very shoe leather so andrew and i were out on the streets uh we had a printed out not even on an ipad pack of what design by night the vision was um and, and really just asked mainly independents back in the day to sort of come on a journey with us we didn't pretend to be bigger than we were we told them our vision what we wanted to do what was wrong with the our competitors and you know how we have the vision to make it right um and it was very much just going in speaking to them um and hoping people you know took a chance on us back in the day and how do you get trust from both sides of the audiences um from from both the punters and, and the owners is that is that a gradual process is it just not messing things up how how do how do you take people on that journey with you so trust is is a huge thing for us it's something that helped us grow so what we stumbled upon was actually trying to make a booking into a bar nine years ago was difficult. So you would phone a bar, no one would pick up because no one was there till six o'clock. If someone did pick up, they were also sorting out the ice machine at the same time. Um, Or you would fill out a form on their website and no one would get back to you for four days. So that was our first realization of the booking scene in the bar industry that we could change. Um, And, what we did when someone made an inquiry on design my night back in the day it used to come back into andrew and i and we used to phone and book them in manually 24 hours seven days a week picking up the phone trying to book our punters into bars Um, but we would send them texts every hour with an update on where that booking was Um, and i think that was the first time that for people that did book into bars saw that actually they were being looked after so from that point of view that really helped grow um sort of our trust and word of mouth from the B2B side, as, as I said, it's just about being honest and, and upfront from, from the start. Uh, you know, we had global competitors, open table, book a table, etc. still our competitors to this day. Um, but, you know, what, what they had in money, they lacked in personability. Um, so actually for a, a pub owner to speak to the founder who can share his vision um, is a lot more powerful than sometimes a global brand. Sure. And... You mentioned you mentioned competitors a few times. Actually, it sounds like they they keep you fresh and they keep you different, and they also keep you delivering as well. Is is that a fair summary? Yeah, we 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 aren't obsessed with competitors. I think some people do get a bit obsessed with competitors. We knew what they weren't doing great that we could improve on. Um, we uh, were very aware of what they were doing, um, and I think we sort of broke the mold especially from a b2b point of view on how a restaurant and bar manages their reservations and for us um, our customers love us because we're at the forefront of technology so you know a big global player might make a deployment two times a year of new technology we deploy every week at design by night with our software um so 
that's how he managed to stay ahead of the game. And Design My Night is nine years old, correct? Mm -hmm. How do you keep that brand fresh? Or is there a desire to keep the brand fresh? Yeah, it's... It's a good question. We've we've had a couple of rebrands. Um, you know, I'm from a marketing background, so I'm I'm passionate about that. Um, it's something that is difficult that you don't want to completely rebrand all the time because people get comfortable with your brand, which is a great thing. Um, so I think we're constantly just actually looking for small incremental changes, um, whether it be on the website or or to the brand voice and message, um, rather than, you know, every two years doing a total refresh of the brand. So I've broadly worked in media partnerships, in content creation and things like that over the last few years. So I bet I bet some punters come to you and said, why don't you do a Design My Night festival on Clapham Common where all of the best bars are there? I bet that's close to a real one. Very good. Yes, I bet, that's very close I, to I a bet real one. Are, I bet there are lots and lots of things that you've said no to over the years. What stopped you saying no to those brand extensions? Where, where, where do you draw the line? So it was actually the best advice we ever got was from one of our angel investors. So we had six angel investors um, and it was about focus. So back in the day, um, not only brand extensions such as that, which <laughs> you're not you're not far <laughs> off at all, um, but actually the biggest draw was going abroad. Right. Um, so probably, no joke, every other week, someone would email us from another city around the world and say, can I take Design My Night? Obviously, New York, um, San Francisco, Asia, um, Australia. Um, and, and in the early days, it's very easy to get carried away and excited by that. Um, but our angel investors kept us very focused. And they said, look, we've got a five-year exit plan with you guys. Um, we know what we need to do to achieve that five-year exit plan. And actually, we can achieve that in the UK. Um, you know, to go to New York sounds wonderful, but that would mean one of you needing to go to New York, which yeah. would take your eye off the ball in the UK. But one of the biggest things that hit home was they said, if you take it to America and it fails, no American company will buy you. OK, and that relationship with your investors and also I'd love you to touch on, if you don't mind, your relationship with the access group. So tell us what happened there and how that came about. So um, we, Andrew and I decided that it was a good time to sell. So that was about four years into taking our angel investment. Uh, we had a group of six angels, which was actually led by the, the um, head of entrepreneurship at London Business School. We met at the dinner party. Um, we were very close to them. They had wide ranging skills. So one of them was the founder of Friends Reunited, which your younger listeners won't remember, but it was <laughs> before Facebook. Yep. And they sold it to ITV for mm. about 150 million pounds. And then Facebook mm. came out probably about a week later and destroyed it. Yep. Um, mm. And then we had the um, XFD of Yale.com. We had someone high up at marketing at Vodafone. So big companies. So they weren't necessarily all in startups, but just had really good advice for us and kept us grounded and focused throughout the whole journey um then when we decided that we thought it was the right time to exit um we hired a broker um and it was a process of about eight months eight to nine months actually from hiring a broker to sell the business to actually selling it to access group um 
which was you know quite intense um a difficult journey very Did it nearly trip up due diligence kind of time that always seems to be where these things go wrong so we, again we we have uh, run the business very to the letter so again that was something our investors told us to keep your shop in order yeah. at all times uh, and andrew is actually my co-founder is more of the back of house stuff so he kept everything you know from a financial point of view from a contract point of view we were very in order so actually our due diligence wasn't so bad um there was to cut a, a long story short the actual day of the signing we were meant to sign it at 9 a.m in their um lawyers offices big fancy offices in in london um and there was something that nearly stumbled everything um yeah. it was a new eu regulation around payments that was wow. coming out that we'd actually never heard of and our lawyer phoned us up at 8 a.m. and said, hi, guys, do you know about X, Y, Z? And we said, no, nope, never heard of it. And he said, OK, well, the access group, they want to know what your position is on it. Um, so we actually use Stripe to manage all of our payments. And we phoned up our account manager at Stripe and said, look, this is we couldn't tell him we were selling. We said, look, this has come up. What do you know about it? He says, I'm on the way to hospital because my wife's giving birth. So we were like, okay, well, that's important, but <laughs> um, so we said, look, we, we need you or someone on a call this afternoon. Um, and actually on that call was going to be the, the head of M&A Access Group, their investors, but we couldn't tell him that. So we said, look, there's going to be some important people. He was great. And so we love him to this day. He, he uh, had a healthy baby and yes. then got on this phone call with us. Um, and talked about this new financial regulation um, and then we just had to wait and then we waited till about 6 p.m that our lawyer then called us and said okay it's going through so you can make your way to their lawyer's office now so we probably didn't sign it until about 9 p.m um, and we were meant to sign it at 9 a.m what so an incredible 12 hours that was very emotional for both of us so the other thing is and look there's there's a certain amount of good luck in any journey particularly in any business journey and i think you've been at the forefront of bar culture sweeping through certainly london certainly the other cities that you're based in in the uk do you do you consider yourself at the forefront of bar culture is is this a trend that you've seen and embraced head on do you think you've held its hand and helped it proliferate throughout the united kingdom i think we said so that the luck element was at the time of launch the actual cocktail bar really started to hit the forefront so a cocktail bar where you would book a table like a restaurant um and you are paying 12 pounds for a drink um and they take their craft extremely seriously um so that really hit when we launched which was the luck but the, the craft came in where we saw that the booking market in bars was nowhere near like the restaurant market. So we really held the hand of the industry and the punter. And we told the punter, look, you can book into a bar. You know, why go to a bar and have your backpack stand by the bar, people nudging into you when there's five tables over there and you can book that. And at the same time, we said to the bar owners, why not get those tables booked out? Because that's pre-booked business, which is guaranteed revenue. So I think we were at the forefront of driving forward the notion that you can book into a bar and then helping the operations of the bar owners to be able to cope with those bookings. Okay. I just want to touch very briefly in this section on two more things. One is no-shows. Uh -huh. uh, you have a, I understand, a no-show buster or a no-show thing for, yeah. for bars. Tell yeah. us how that works and just how important it is to the bar industry. So no-shows are a bit of an epidemic for, for us in hospitality. Um, I, th I think people don't realise what they're doing when, you know, a lot of people will book three bars and only show up at one. 
Um, and, you know, th those empty tables, they've turned away other customers. Um, so it actually costs the industry a lot of money, and especially people forget that independent bars, you know, a lot of the time it's just one person and that's their livelihood that they, you know, love more than anything. Um, so as a, as a technology player in this industry, we've worked really hard with the industry, A, on trying to educate punters that you should only book one place. To this day, I have friends that will sort our nights out and tell me they book three restaurants. And I say, well, you're going to cancel the other two. And they say, no, and I make them cancel the other two. Um, but our technology basically um, interacts with the punter. So, uh, you know, are you still coming? Yes or no. Um, if they don't reply, we flag it up in the system. So then the venue can get in contact with the customer. Um, we were the first booking system to take payment at the point of booking. So we introduced the notion of doing a deposit. Um, so, you know, do a £10 per head deposit that you get back on your bill. Um, but for us, because we were technology led, we wanted to make that as easy as possible. So again, we introduced that at the point of booking. So from a customer or a punter, they could make a booking on their phone and take a to pay a deposit. You were ahead of the restaurant trade in that development. Yeah, so oh, we, wow. we were the That's first amazing. ones to do that. Um, and actually, we you know, over the last three or four years, we've become a huge player in the restaurant mm. industry as well. So we started our craft in the bar industry, um, which is actually a lot more complicated than the restaurant industry. Because if you think of a bar, you might have a table that can seat five, but stand 10, for example, whereas a restaurant is this table seats four. Um, so actually our technology that power bars then the restaurant industry saw how um, forward thinking it was and that's how we were managed to then really come and take on the likes of open table final question in this section on design my night what would you do differently if you were to look at your journey again to be totally honest we you know really proud of the way we've we've done the journey so we've played it very by the book we haven't spent a ton of cash we only ever raised half a million pounds um um so in today's money you know that's nothing um and yes we've made mistakes along the way but you know they then helped us keep focus on how we were going to grow as a business um so i don't know if this sounds boastful but um you know i think we're, we're very proud of the way we've done the design my night journey and and, and wouldn't change it So we're still here with Nick Telson, the co-founder of Design My Night. We've got to know Nick a bit. We've discussed the Design My Night journey. We're now going to jump in, kind of get under the skin of Nick's thinking about what motivates young people effectively. Um, the purpose of this podcast is to understand youth audiences, youth culture, youth marketing. And we're going to ask Nick for his rocket fuel. First question, Nick, what do you know about young audiences? <laughs> um, to be honest, so when you first reached out to me to come onto the podcast, um, you know, I was I was hesitant because um, I don't consider us groundbreaking in the way we targeted youth audiences. Um, we're, we're a very millennial focused business. So probably about 75% of our customers are millennial, millennials. And I'm sure the, the Gen Zs underneath that uh, will start to use our platform as well. To be honest, our focus was more on customer service. And I think um, especially the youth today, you know, want to be respected, want to be treated well. Um, so from our point of view, we everything we do is about great customer service. And we take if someone has a bad experience on our website, we genuinely take it very personally and, and, and look to sort that out. And I think that um, authenticity resonates very well with youth audiences. 
you may have already answered these almost next two questions just in that point. And I just for the sake of the listener, it's absolutely true. Nick did take some persuading to come on this podcast because he genuinely didn't think us as an audience would would find it groundbreaking or interesting on this journey. But I think you've got to the nub of it in terms of customer service and the desire to show respect to youth, young audiences, millennial audiences. Next two questions kind of play into that theme, which is... Firstly, what do you think is important to young audiences? And secondly, what do you think has changed about the way audiences behave? So, yeah, as I said, authenticity. So I think brands that are really breaking through um, are authentic. They have a passion. um, And I think um, which is awesome is that youth nowadays seem to care about the environment, where their products are coming from, the impact it's having. Um, we're a lot more open as a society as well, um, which I think is very important. So I think, um, you know, youth audiences want to shop or deal with customers that align with their views. Um, and in the main, their views, which all, all companies should be aligning themselves with anyway. Um, so from that point of view, I think, yes, authenticity um, and having like a true cause or passion rings very true. So... What do you think will change next? In Will we see a huge seismic shift? Will it be, I don't know, ad blockers? Will it be something else that will disrupt the, the journeys for brands and for consumers? And which brands do you admire? Which brands do you think are getting it right? So, um, again, it's I sound like a granddad saying this, but the shift to, to mobile. So, again, you know, again, when we set up nine, ten years ago, um, you know, mobile wasn't as big a thing um so now you have to be mobile first um i i'm a big believer that you don't always have to be app first um so design my night we work a lot harder on our mobile experience um especially when 5g comes to the uk um and actually google are ranking websites higher that are, are mobile friendly um so it has to be mobile friendly it has to be able to be done in a few clicks um you know people are so busy scrolling now that you need to get something done really really quickly so i think ease of use is something um that is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger um as we have less and less time apparently um the brands who who i admire in this space so again it's a very fuddy-duddy industry but banking so if you look at what monzo have done for the banking industry I was actually listening to a podcast the other day with the CEO of Starling Bank, um, who she's a, mm. she's a wonderful founder by the sounds of it. Um, you know, what they're doing as well, which is has, has, has taken a really old school, awful business. You know, who likes going to the bank? And I've had a lot of dust ups with our banks over the last 10 years with Design My Night um, to mobile first, app first, um, easy to use. Um, so I, I love that space and what people are doing. Um and, and a big brand that does it well, you know, I love Nike. Uh, again, uh, I, I recommend everyone read Shoe Dog, mm. which is is the story of Phil Knight and how he set up Nike. Um, and I learned that it's pronounced Nike and not mm. Nike from that book. Um, and how they managed to tap into keeping, you know, I use the word cool in inverted commas, uh, you know, keeping cool um, and relatable to, 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 to young and old, I think is a, is a real good skill. Finally, Nick. What's one takeaway for everyone listening? I think it is, I was going to use a Nike adage, just do it. I think um, we're in this age now where 
to create a business um you don't need huge capital to start um you don't even necessarily need to know how to code so if someone has an idea never before has and we're seeing this now as an angel investor myself um just the plethora of ideas that are being thrown out onto the table and being built because there's so few barriers to actually launching a business. So, you know, don't be scared, have a go. If it fails, it fails. You'll learn a lot from that failure. Um, and don't listen to naysayers and just get on and do it. Nice one, Nick. Uh, listen to the positivity and not the naysayers. I like that note to leave on. Nick, um, where can people find out more about you if indeed you want them to? Where, would, <laughs> where, would you, where are you across social media? How, how would you like to be sp- uh, found? So LinkedIn. So I'm, uh, LinkedIn, again, is, is a platform that uh, you know, I've been looking at a lot recently and, and it's sort of not flown under the radar because it's huge, but actually is, is really starting to kick up a gear. So you know, if you're interested in business or if you're interested in, in my take on business then definitely find me on linkedin brilliant nick telson co-founder of design my night thank you so much for doing rocket fuel thank you very much so that was nick telson's rocket fuel what a nice bloke um really good chat with nick he really came across as very very proud as as he should do of the journey that design my night have been on What I would ask you to do is if you think that there's anybody out there that would enjoy listening to this podcast and that interview with Nick, then let them know. Share this podcast with them. Give us a five-star rating. It does help. Share the podcast. Let us know. And also do get in touch with me on Twitter or on LinkedIn and let us know if there are any guests you think we should be talking to. And hopefully we can go on this journey and continue this podcast that lives at the intersection of youth culture, youth marketing, tech, media, creativity together, and we can carry on. Tune in next week for the next episode of Rocket Fuel. This is a Rocket Audio production.